Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to pick up. We're actually uh, going to cover uh, two chapters here this morning. And uh, get your note sheet out. I'll follow, you can follow along with me there. Take some notes. If there's something that I say where God speaks to you and you just want to remember more of what you're hearing this morning, I encourage you to write that down as well. Uh, it's also a preparation for your small group. And so if you're not yet in a small group, uh, it's not too late. We still have six weeks of the series left. And, uh, and really, our, our goal in this series, in our, in our late winter, early spring series, is for you is to take the journey together as a church and to be in a small group. And so we ask everybody, make a, a six or seven week commitment to being in a small group. So if you're like, man, I don't know where the small group menu is, go out to the front desk. We have menus there. And we would love for you to plug in, you, your spouse, you, if you're single, we have groups that fit your, uh, you know, your your, your phase and where you are in life, we have, we have groups that fit your calendar. And so really want to encourage you to be in a small group. While you guys are getting ready, you're getting your Bible out. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, and especially if you'll promise to read that on a regular basis. Okay, while you're doing all that, uh, I want to do one thing this morning just to kind of update you. Uh, and so in your bulletin, you guys get this out. Okay, it's a pledge card. And uh, honestly, for me, this is probably the last time I mentioned this. Over the month of December, I kind of laid out for you the vision for us to complete the build out of the other side of our building. And we have about 20,000 square feet of unfinished space that God has blessed us with. And, and uh, we want to use that to, to make develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's our vision at Coastal. And, and uh, man, we, we are out of space here throughout the week when we do our spiritual formation classes and our small groups. Almost every room in this building is being used. And so uh, we really need to develop that future space. Okay. And so in order to do that, uh, just for it to be functional, I told you guys, we need to raise about 300,000 ish. Okay. We need to raise about 200,000 just to get it under HVAC. Okay. The HVAC system itself is about 150,000. And, uh, and so we've raised enough to begin to put up the, the walls for the youth space. And so if you go over there, uh, the walls are going in right now, waiting for some inspections. So that's super exciting. Uh, but we're about Honestly, we're about $100,000 short of the HVAC system. And so, uh, and so here's what that means. I need 100 families to commit to giving $100 a month over and above your regular giving. That's what we need, all right? 100 families to go, hey, I can do that. I want to be a part. I want to see at least it get functional over there so we can use it in the wintertime when it's cold and in the summertime when it's hot, okay? So if you have not yet made that pledge, it's something you've heard me talk about, you've been praying about, this is your home church, I really want to have you give some prayer and attention to that, okay? So everybody take this home and uh, pray about it, and, and uh, you can bring it in next week, so you let us know where we are. I did have somebody last night, I remember, class 
Say, hey, I made a pledge. What do I need to do? And uh, you can start giving right now. And so in the, in the memo line of your check, you can put building fund, and that way we know where it's going. Uh, if you give online, there's a drop-down menu. If you want to target it to the build-out, uh, you can let us know. Okay, so that's where we are. Good. All right. And we're going to get it done. I'm excited about that. I know you are too. And, and so keep praying about that. I grew up in Baltimore, and um, that was my hometown. And um, we would, in the wintertime, we would um, play a fair amount, if it was cold enough winter, we'd play a fair amount of hockey, uh, ice hockey on some ponds when they got, when they froze thick enough, right? And uh, anybody, anybody here ice hockey players? And so I'm not, not a great skater, but I was, I'm good enough to, you know, not hurt myself. And, um, and so we would, every winter, man, we'd wait for a cold week or two, and then we'd drive, the, we had a couple local ponds where the pond owner would let us play some hockey. Uh, but here was the thing, you never went right out on the pond, right? There was this, this moment where, you know, you wanted to make sure it was thick enough before you went out there, right? And so the way you would do that is you would pick your least favorite sibling, and you would talk them into going out on the pond, right? And say, look, just check it out, man. You're like, well, if anything happens, we're here for you. I don't know if that's true or not, because no one ever fell through. But, you know, we'd always convince them. But, but there was always this time where you'd have to, like, test it out. And if you, you've ever skated on a pond, okay, uh, when you put weight on the ice, no matter how thick it is, that ice begins to give a little bit. And it, it, it puts this ominous crack all the way through the ice. And it's very intimidating when you first get out on a, on a pond of ice. And, um, and so that's what we did, you know. And I would always convince my little brother to go out there and try it for us. So. That's probably not true, but he was so much younger than me. But that's what we would do. We'd test it out. What you're going to see in the next couple weeks, so last week we jumped in and, and we're doing this series where I've been over the last couple years and next year as well. We've broken up the book of Genesis. I'm taking us through the book because I want you to know our beginnings of our faith and the redemptive recorded redemptive history of God and, and how he saved us through Christ. And, and so last year we looked at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and now we're looking at the life of Abraham. And I, I kind of gave us the, uh, the, the overview last week that Abraham is the father of our faith. And the Apostle Paul kind of lets us know that, that all of us that believe in Christ are a part of fulfilling the promise to Abraham of the Abrahamic covenant. And what you're going to see in the next couple of weeks is really the testing of Abraham's faith. And, and, and to see, uh, you know, his genuineness and to build up test upon test where his faith becomes stronger. And, and, I, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you, you know those seasons come, right? Where, man, maybe it's a dry season. Maybe God has called you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. And, and your faith can be tested. But in that, your faith grows so that the next time you reach a very similar situation, you, you are reminded. It's not that God is ever wavering in his faithfulness, but you're reminded of God's continued faithfulness. And so what we see in chapter 13 and 14 really is the beginnings of the testing of the, of the faith of Abraham. And what we're going to unpack from that is, is this idea of, of how, uh, how we, in our process and growth of sanctification, to be more like Jesus Christ, 
how we, he's kind of the mirror of our own faith, if you will. And so I'm going to ask the question at the end of this is the reflection of your faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so in, in chapter 13, here's what we have, okay? Abraham has gone to the land that God showed him. He said, just go. We talked about this last week. He left his father's land. He went to the land that God showed him. Famine hits. He ends up in Egypt. And now he decides to him and Lot, his nephew, decide to go back towards the promised land. They, they leave, and, and so they head back, and, and, and the scriptures tell us they're both wealthy. They're both very successful, and they have these flocks and these herds, and what happens is there begins to be disunity among Lot's people and Abraham's people. And so Lot says to Abraham, listen, you lift up your eyes and, and you go whatever direction you want to go so that our herdsmen aren't fighting and I'll go the other way. And so this is where we find Abraham and Lot in, in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. So Lot, of course, picks the most plush and fertile area, right? He's like, hey, I'm going to go to the place where, man, my herds are going to do well, my cattle are going to do well, my sheep are going to do well. And so he picks the most plush and fertile area. Now, Abram has been promised this land, but he, he chooses to submit his life to the choice of someone else. And so let me pull something out of this that I think applies to our journey of faith. Faith, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ. Faith resolves tension with generous self-sacrifice. Faith resolves tension with generous self-sacrifice. Genesis chapter 13, verse 8 Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east and thus they separated from each other. So the first thing we see is Abram deals with Lot with a brotherly love. He says, you're my kinsman. We, we don't need to be fussing like this. We, we, there's a mutual love and there's a, a mutual respect. Now, as followers of Jesus in the church, one of the things you'll hear if you're new to church life, like you'll, you'll be like, man, these people are weird. Like you'll hear people start calling one another brothers or sisters. And that's because that's the New Testament word for kind of the one another's, how we interact. And so we're to interact is, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been adopted by God's grace through the love and the sacrifice of Christ into the same family. And so we interact with one another with brotherly love. Abram sees Lot as an equal. Our faith in Christ humbles us to deal with one another in a way of humility. Lot, he, Abraham, does, Abraham doesn't see Lot as better than himself. And, God, and Abram is willing to submit himself to the promises of God. And so he, he deals with Lot in brotherly love. 
And how would that change disunity in most churches, right? So often, man, in church life, man, there's like this, this tension between one another. And I think oftentimes it's because we fail to see one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so Abram chooses self-sacrifice. He's, he's generous with Lot. Abram doesn't feel any need to, de- to defend his name or his title or his promises. He, he's free to be generous with Lot. He doesn't say to Lot, listen, the promised land's mine. God already told me it's mine. You, you're going to take the lesser land. No, he's, he's free to be generous. In fact, he's, if you read this passage, you, you, you're kind of struck with, he's almost generous to the point of being taken advantage of. Abram, you're being taken advantage of here. You're not a doormat. I hear people t- say it all the time. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a mat. I'm not a doormat. I'm not, not to be walked on. I got to tell you something. Every time I hear that, I, I, here's what goes through my mind. And I think, about, think this about myself sometimes. I think, it's a good thing Jesus at no point during the crucifixion said, I'm not a doormat. I'm the creator. These people don't have this kind of authority over me. He was, Jesus was a humble servant. By the way, as, as if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and, and that means you've been forgiven much, right? And we've, we talked about this back in the fall when we went through the Lord's Prayer about the understanding of how much we have been forgiven. And so if you've been forgiven much, you're a person that gives forgiveness freely. And so what is forgiveness really? Forgiveness means that if I'm angry, if you've wronged me somehow, that I'm, I'm willing to let you off the hook for whatever justice I deem that I deserve. And I'm willing to let you off the hook, and I'm, I'm willing to even go to the point of being taken advantage of, if necessary, knowing that God ultimately will mete out justice in his timing. I don't have to pursue justice on my own. The God of the universe will take care of it in his timing and he will take care of it perfectly. And so as believers, as people of faith, man, we are free to give generously to the point of self-sacrifice so that we can grant forgiveness to others and let God take care of justice. And so Abraham, Abram is able to live with so much freedom and generosity. Why? Because he knew that God will protect and fulfill his promises. We just sang that song that Joel wrote. I love that song, right? Our God is true to his promises. And, and Abram knew that. And so Abram didn't have to defend himself. And Abram, didn't have to, Abram could even give to the point of self-sacrifice. This is, the real life sacrifice happens when a person trusts the word of God, and this goes back to last week's sermon, this is going to be the theme throughout the next couple of weeks. God is true to his promises, and we can take God at his word. And Abram trusted God and his word. And listen, and so because of that, when him and when there was disunity between him and Lot and Lot's people and his people, listen, there was no need for Abram to cajole or manipulate. He knew that he could be open-handed with Lot, knowing that, you know what, God has promised me this land, and in his time timing, my descent, me and my descendants will have this land. And so he didn't have to manipulate. 
There's someone in this room right now that you, you, you're exhausting your life manipulating a relationship that you should be free from and say, hey, I'm going to grant forgiveness. I'm going to turn that relationship over to God. I'm a person of faith. God will take care of me and God's timing. And when you're trying to manipulate and steer and move a particular relationship, that's just exhausting, Right? And so God says, man, we're, Abram's free from that. And he says, Lot, you, you do what you need to do. And why could Abraham rest so completely? Because he took God at his word. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. Check this out. So they separate, Abram and Lot separate. And God reminds Abram of his promises. So the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, north southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And I hope you're beginning to see the theme here. It's the theme throughout Abram's life. It's the theme throughout Scripture. It's the theme for those who journey with Christ through faith, that God is true to his word and he's true to his promises, yes? And that's great news for us, by the way. Let me, let me give you some practical application, ready? Let me remind you that eternal life, living with God in his blessings, in glory, forever and ever 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 and ever. You got it, right? Is granted to us by grace through faith when we repent of our sin and we believe in the pathway that God has given us for saving, which is his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is promised. It's not earned, it's freely given to us. John 3, 16, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's the promise of God. And so you don't have to earn it, man. It's, it's a free gift of grace. The promise of God is that he will never leave us. He's always with us. If you were to look at Hebrews 13, verse 5, which I don't have in your notes, you can look it up later. Hebrews 13, verse 5, the, the author of Hebrews says, man, you, you can stop worrying about money because God is always with us. Isn't that great news? It's great news. It's a promise. Philippians 4.19, God promises to supply everything that you need. It's a promise. Our God is true to his promises. Philippians 4 verse 7, God promises in the most difficult of times to be with us and grant us peace that passes understanding. God always is with us. 1 John 5, 15, God promises to hear our prayers. We can, listen, I don't know, usually when I pray, one of the things I pause and I remember is I am entering into the presence of the creator of the universe. How amazing is that? 
and he cares for us and he wants to hear from us. And, and sometimes in that moment, sometimes the thing I was gonna pray for, man, it feels kind of small at that moment, right? It doesn't mean we don't get to pray and ask for it, but wow, what an opportunity through Christ to enter into the creator's presence and say, man, I have this need or I have this desire, or I have this fear, or I have this whatever, and we get to talk to the creator and he cares for us. That's a promise of the Lord. And we know God hears our prayers. We know, we know God blesses generous giving, Malachi 3.10. It's a promise of the Lord. When we're generous, God blesses. And so Abram is the father of our faith, and he, he, he could have cajoled and he could have manipulated the situation, but instead he trusted God and his word. And no plan of man can thwart the word of God and the promises of God and the plans that God has for his people, man. And we can, we can rest in that. We can rest in the word of God. Chapter 13. Chapter 14 of Genesis. So Abram and Lot go their separate ways, okay? And then in chapter 14, there's some kings in the land that get together and they go attack Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're, some of y'all are familiar with that term and we'll hear more about Sodom and Gomorrah in the coming weeks. And, they, and in this attack of these kings, they, 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 t- they plunder these cities and they, they take a lot as captive. And there's someone that escapes from this war and they come to Abram and they say, hey, listen, your, your nephew Lot has been attacked and he's been taken. Now, can you imagine, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? Abram and Lot, okay, they do their thing. They're, they're, they're disputing among their people. Abram says to Lot, hey, you take whatever area you want. I'll take the leftovers. Lot takes the better area, okay, and you're with the leftovers where it's more difficult to carve out a living, and you find out that Lot has been captured by another king. What would your response be? Ah, we got what he deserved, I guess, right? Selfish, greedy nephew, you know, no, I mean, Abram is a man of faith and he's a man that is concerned about justice and he's concerned about helping those in need. And so what we see out of Genesis chapter 14 is the overflow of faith is seeing and serving the needs of others. Seeing and serving the needs of others, which includes those who may have wronged Abram, Right? And so in Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house. There's 318 of them. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And so Abram goes to, re- to, to rescue Lot. Of course, this, this exemplifies Christ, Right? I mean, Christ is the perfect example of the one who rescues his enemies. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, the scripture's clear that apart from Christ, when you were doing your own thing, you, you weren't neutral, you were an enemy of God. Before you were saved, if you will, before you were a Christian, you, you were in rebellion to the things of God. And our God, who is generous, and our God who is loving, and our God who is merciful. Like, he, he could have left us that way. He could have said, well, you got what you deserved. 
No, he sent, he sent his son on a rescue mission. Check this out in Romans chapter five. For while we were still weak, at the right time, God died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though maybe for a good person one would dare even die. But God, verse eight, showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we hated the things of God, that's what that means, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Abram's modeling for us, he's a type of the great rescuer, which is Jesus Christ, our incredible savior, that even while we were sinners, man, he pursued us, he sought us out when we didn't want to have anything to do with him. He loved you even when you were in your sin. It's incredible. That's why we gather to worship. And Christ, of course, once we become Christians and we have the Holy Spirit deposited into our lives so that we can, we can be molded into the image of Christ in this process that we call sanctification or growing to be more like Christ, we're commanded to grow even in our love for our enemies. Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, by the way, in, in, even today, but certainly in Jesus' time, but even today in the Middle East, this is, if you were to talk to a Muslim, this is the most shocking teaching of Jesus, actually. Love your enemies? Are you kidding me? I mean, what? One of the things you guys hear me say from time to time is, is the racial divide in our culture is not going to be healed by all the methods outside, of the, outside the walls of the church. It's Christian brothers and sisters, regardless of skin color, they're going to bring racial reconciliation. What would this do if, if two races said, man, I forgive you? would change the culture, yes? The hope of racial reconciliation is... Christian saying, I forgive you. I'm not here to hold the past over you. It's the hope. I heard an incredible story uh, just a couple weeks ago. One of our church members <coughs> disciples a young man in Honduras, okay? So you guys know we, we have a pretty sizable missions footprint in Honduras, and this church member is a regular uh, in going on our missions trips to Honduras, and, and he's got a group of young men in Honduras that he's discipling to mold into the image of Christ. And one of those young men is a teenager, so if you followed the news at all over the holidays, November and December in Honduras, there was a lot of political unrest in Honduras, and, um, and they had, uh, there was an election, a disputed election, and so there was rioting in the streets, and there was just a lot of unrest over the months of December. And so this young man that one of our church members' disciples, one day he was going to work. He, had his, he was a teenager, a teenage boy. He had his backpack, and he was going to work. And as he was heading to work, some police officers suspected that he was a man, young man that was inciting some of the riots in the street. And so they harassed this young man and they actually beat him to the point that he was bleeding. And, and he, he told our, uh, the church member of Coastal, he said, while they were hitting on me, I, I, my mind went to the idea that Jesus was beaten for me. What? And he said, and by the end of the physical altercation, he, had sum he submitted to the authorities over him and he finally convinced them that he wasn't one of the ones inciting riots. He was just trying to, to go to work. And by the end of that, 
he told the police officer he had forgiven them, and he, they all shook hands as he walked away. Now, that's what happens when a Christian says, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm willing to self-sacrifice. And we, we see that in a, the seeds of faith and the seeds of forgiveness, the overflow of Abraham being a type of Christ who now lives inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the overflow of that is we begin to love those, even those who have put us through difficult times. Let me tell you something. If you're a young person and you're in like the public school system, if you're taking a stand for Christ, you're not going to be readily accepted, but we love our enemies anyway, Yes. If you do business like a Christian man, there's going to be times, man, where your faith is going to be put to the test, but we love those who persecute us. Abram modeled it for us. Jesus saved us by loving us, even when we were enemies. And the overflow is that we love others. And so faith, the overflow of faith is seeing and serving those in need. The third thing I want you to see out of this text this morning, Genesis 14, and it's similar last week. Once again, Abram takes time to worship, okay? But this time, his worship costs him something. He worships at a cost. And so at the end of chapter uh, 14, the king of Salem, which is probably a precursor to Jerusalem, okay, is a guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek's kind of a little bit of a mysterious figure. He shows back up in Hebrews chapter 7. Pastor Joey actually drew the short straw and had to preach on that years ago. We went through uh, Hebrews 7, and he did actually an excellent sermon on Melchizedek, okay? And so we have this king, but he's also a high priest, of the, of the real one and true God, okay? And so after this battle, after Abraham rescues Lot and he gets back all the people and all the stuff that had been stolen, okay, he goes and he worships with Melchizedek, the high priest. And what we see here is that he worships at a cost. Genesis 14, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Verse 18, Genesis 14, 18. Well, he was a priest of God the Most High, and he blessed him, meaning he blessed Abraham, and he said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High who has delivered your enemies in your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. It's the first time in Scripture we see the, uh, the, the word tithe, okay? Literally, a tenth means tithe. And so Abram came and he brought something to worship. He didn't worship empty-handed. He, he, it came at a cost. And I think this is one of the, the plagues, if you will, of what I would call the American consumerist church mentality, right? And I, we come to worship, we gather corporately, we sit and we decide if, if there's anything in this for me. And we gather and we worship, we say, man, is there anything in this for me? And did, did, they, did they sing anything I like? Was there anything the preacher said that I liked? Did I leave and, and I got something out of it? And I think if, if you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus when you come to corporate worship and worship in general, it's not just, is there anything in it for me? Man, it's what can I bring to worship? How can I be a part? How can I help encourage others all the way to the point of, of Abram bringing a tithe. He brings a tenth of the plunder. 
And listen, the battle came at great risk to Abram. There was cost to the battle to him. And when he wins, he recognizes that it's all glory to God and he brings a tenth. And by the way, I'm convinced, and then another argument maybe for another day, but I'm convinced that one of the themes of scripture is that a person of faith regularly tithes to their local place of worship for the furthering of the gospel. Now I know a lot of people say, man, it's not, Pastor Ron, it's not in the New Testament, a tithe. Wrong. It's just wrong. Luke chapter 11, Jesus chastises the Pharisees on the fact that the only thing they do is tithe, right? And, and then he says, these things you should do, but you're missing the greater way of the law. All that I agree. It's a backhanded compliment, but he affirms the tithe. It's this theme throughout Scripture. And I think one of the great plagues of the American church is we say we're people of faith, but we're not generous with our finances. And I think... It shows Christians to be worldly and greedy. Now, Hebrews 13, 5 says, don't love money and trust the Lord. And Abraham comes and it costs him something. Now, with all that said, I know I, I, I'm, I'm stepping on toes. Here it is, ready? Coastal blows me away. It blows me away. I suspect at Coastal Community Church that when it comes to giving, my suspicion is we're, we're way above the national averages, way above the national averages, because the people, you guys are here, you, you take the word of God seriously. But Abraham models for us that he's generous, and when he comes to worship, he brings something even to the point of a tithe. One of my favorite Old Testament verses is found in 2 Samuel 24, 24. 2 Samuel 24, 24. Uh, let me give you a little background of this verse. So King, king David is the king, and he, um, he, just, he gets up one day and decides he wants to take a census. He wants to count how many people are in, under his rule and reign. His, his general actually tries to talk him out of it because he knows this would displease the Lord. The Lord wants King David to trust in the Lord alone and not in numbers, but, but David decides to take a census. It's a, it's a pride thing. He wants to see how many people he has. And so he takes this census and then he, he gets convicted and God calls him out. And so God says this, and so God sends a, a prophet to David. He says, David, I'm gonna give you three choices. You, you pick one, Okay. You can have three years of famine as discipline for taking the census. You can have three months of running from outside enemies, or you can have three days of pestilence at the hand of the Lord. And so David says, man, I'd rather fall into the hand of the Lord than outside enemies. And so he takes the three days of pestilence. And so God sends a, essentially like a plague throughout the land, and he chastises David and the people of Israel. And David is grieved and he's begging God. He says, man, don't let other people suffer for my sin, which there's a whole other sermon there. If you think your sin only affects you, that's the nature of sin, right? It, that's you think it's only you and it's never only you. And so it's affecting others. And so David's pleading. And finally, as this angel of the Lord is about to put the pestilence on Jerusalem, David pleads and God shows mercy. And the prophet shows up and he says, listen, I want you to worship the Lord on this particular hill owned by a guy by the name of Arnal. 
And so David shows up and he, he goes to this owner of this land and he says, listen, I wanna, I wanna buy your land and I wanna build an altar and I wanna worship the Lord. And the farmer says, what are you talking about? You're the king here, just take, take my land and, and, and take everything you need for the sacrifice to worship the Lord. And in 2 Samuel 24, 24, it said, King David says this, but the king said to Arnold, no, I will not, but I will buy it from you for a price for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me what, church? Nothing. I love that verse. And God has been so good to me. He's given me his very best. I wanna, I'm going to come and I'm going to be generous and I'm going to be open-handed. And so often, man, our worship, we, we worship in America and it just, there's no like cost. And I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you. Listen, man, when you come in here on Sunday morning, we gather corporately. Come ready to worship. Come ready to praise, man. I'm here and I'm ready and I'm going to be on time because I want to join with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I want to sing praise to God. And I'm going to, oh, I'm going to get a good night's rest and I'm going to open my word and I'm going to oh, you know, use some of the online stuff that Coastal provides to prepare for corporate worship and I'm going to come prayed up and I'm going to come expecting that God has something for me. And I'm going to bring an offering. I'm going to bring something to give as an act of worship. And so Abraham plants the seeds of worshiping at a cost. And Abram worships in righteousness. He, he's, not, he's not a man of compromise. We see that in verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So the king of Sodom comes to Abram after he worships with Melchizedek. And he says, look, just give me my people back and you can keep all the stuff, all the plunder that was taken from me. You went out and got it, you keep it. But Abram, verse 22, said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, the most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but the, but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men that went with me. And he names some of the men and he says, let them take their share. Here's what I want you to see. Abraham doesn't compromise his, his principles. He gives money, but he doesn't compromise how he makes money. He's, he's consistent in character. He's consistent in righteousness behind the scenes. Abram worships God publicly. Abram worships God privately. Abram is not one person at church and another person when he does business. He says, no, I'm, it's all, all your stuff is yours. He says, the only thing I want you to do is pay my man, essentially, which is a biblical principle. A workman is worthy of his wages. But Abraham, Abram recognizes that his success and his wealth ultimately comes from the Lord, and he doesn't need to manipulate it. And so he's a man of righteousness. He worships privately in righteousness as well. And so Abraham, Abram comes, and he, and he worships at a cost. I want to finish with a New Testament story, and I want, to, I want to hold up the mirror of reflection because if we're people of faith, we're generous people. We're, we're people that take God at his word, and so because we take God at his word, we're free to be generous with others, whether it's settling a dispute, whether it's serving at a cost, or whether it's worshiping generously. And so we see this in Abram, the father of our faith, and it's the overflow of those of us who worship Christ as Savior. 
And so I love the story of Zacchaeus, right? In Luke chapter 19, I'm going to, hopefully I'll bring this full circle this morning. You'll see this. Zacchaeus was a what? Yeah, a wee little man, right? He was a short guy. He was a, uh, Luke 19, we're told that he's the chief of tax collectors, okay? Which means he was really hated in the community. So let me paint the picture for you what Zacchaeus' job was, okay? I want you to just imagine, just so you kind of get the feeling of what it would feel like to be Zacchaeus hanging out with Jesus. I want you to imagine that America loses a war to North Korea, and we are now subservient to North Korea, and North Korea levies a huge amount of taxes on us, and we're taxed so heavily that it's very difficult to make a living, okay? And so, and so it's, it's, it, there's, we're impoverished by an outside country, but there's a handful of Americans that collect taxes for North Korea. How would you feel about those people? You wouldn't like them very much. And because they now had the stronger government behind them, let's just say in my illustration, they have North Korea behind them, they're able to skim off the top and actually charge you more taxes than even North Korea charges. And so the tax collectors build wealth by extorting money from you. Now, how do you feel about the tax collectors right now? You don't like them very much, right? That's Zacchaeus. Yet somehow Zacchaeus, he, he, he's getting gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wants to get to know Jesus. And so Jesus is coming through his town, Jericho, and because he's short in stature, he can't see Jesus. And so he loses all his dignity. He climbs this tree to see Jesus. Jesus stops. He says, I'm eating at your house today. And all the Pharisees of the day are like, I knew it. That's the kind of people Jesus hangs out with. You'd probably feel similar. Right? Imagine if my illustration was true, and here you're worshiping in church, and some pastor that you love starts hanging out with the enemy. And so in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus gets saved, essentially. He becomes a Christian. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, and I want you to hear this, it's very important. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a what, church? Son of what? Abraham. There it is again. Abraham, the seeds of our faith, reflects a person of faith. For Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus judged himself actually more harshly than the law demanded. The law demanded if you defrauded anybody, you should give back what you took plus 20%. Jesus said, I'm, uh, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give back fourfold. Zacchaeus' generosity was proof of his conversion. It was the fruit of faith, not the condition of faith. And so Abram laid the seeds of faith. They find their fulfillment of, in those of us who have repented of sin and believe in Christ. And Abram mirrors for us what faith looks like in our lives. And so I want to finish this sermon this way by asking you a question. Am I, as a follower of Christ, am I generous with others through self-sacrifice?
Am I generous in serving others in need? And am I generous in worship, coming open-handed and ready to give? It's the seeds of faith modeled for us in Abraham, fulfilled in Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Abraham, the father of our faith, a generous, generous man, not perfect, but generous. I pray that you would help me, Father, grow in generosity. Because you're a generous God, giving us your very best in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you're a God that's true to your promises. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.